The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Apparently, there are six fundamental numbers that make our universe the way it is today. It's kind of mind blowing that you can distill it down to six fundamental numbers. To talk us through this, I'm joined by Dr. Coleman Gallagher, planetary geomorphologist at the UCD School of Geography and the UCD Earth Institute. Coleman, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm very well, thank you. I, I was fascinated by this because, uh, you know, people always say, well, what's, what do you do with maths <laughs> if you stop studying it and leaving search? Uh, there's, there's a lot you could do and without maths and without physics, we would be nowhere. Uh, we wouldn't understand how the world works at all. So who, who worked out that it was down to these six fundamentals? Well, these numbers have been calculated for a long time, some of them for a very long time, but really they were put together in a book in 1999 by uh, Martin Rees, who is the Astronomer Royal in the UK. He's Lord Rees now. And uh, the book was a was a very uh, well-written book for the layman and a very popular book, um, and really, uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating book, as you say. So he, he combined all these numbers together and made them accessible, I think. Now, they, they all have different names, uh, which we will go into. None of them are pi, which was going to be my first <laughs> guess. Uh, so tell us what they are. Okay, the first number uh, that, that Reese called it was N, the, the capital letter N. And that's the ratio of the gravitational force to the electromagnetic force. It's basically... Uh, the ratio between the force trying to pull things together, particularly at the the level of protons, and the repulsion between those protons. So that's I'm the, guessing the first that, that yeah, because and this is going to be a theme throughout. This has to be a constant, so therefore there there can't be variation here, otherwise the science doesn't work. Yeah, that's right. Yes, absolutely. Not all of them are constants, but they that that particular number should be a constant, particularly the the gravitational one because it's governed by the gravitational constant and we have no evidence that the gravitational constant varies even though there are theories of gravity that uh, suggest that that uh, it is a variable feast to some extent, but they're not uh, heavily supported theories. Uh, what would happen if this number was maybe a little bit smaller or a little bit bigger. It would have severe implications for existence in many ways. It would. If the gravitational force was a little bit stronger, so gravity is the weakest of all the four forces of nature. We, we think it's very strong, but if you think about it, um, a small magnet, can, a fridge magnet, can, uh, can defy the whole gravity of the planet, for example, by, by sticking to a fridge without falling down. So uh, gravity is a very weak force, but if it was a little bit stronger... Um, it would mean that the, the the forces of repulsion between two protons would be overcome more and that protons would exist more closely together, for example, in the center of stars. That would make it easier for protons to undergo fusion and therefore to create energy more quickly. It would mean that stars would have a shorter lifetime. Uh, fusion is the thing that was achieved last week in the, in the United States, or it was announced last week, so it could be a, an energy source for the future. So it's a very hard thing to do, and it depends on the repulsion between protons. It would mean that if that repulsion was, was overcome more by gravity, stars would, would, uh, would last a shorter time. Planets come with stars. They're born at the same time of stars from the same material, it would mean that planets, therefore, would also have a shorter lifetime, and therefore it would mean that there would be a shorter amount of time available for complex life to to form and to evolve. 
Okay, so in other words, uh, humanity might not do well if that if that was any different. Our second number, uh, again, not necessarily a number, it's it's given a name and it's epsilon. Epsilon or E. Um, it's it's really the the it's how strongly atomic nuclei bond to each other um, and make make molecules. Um, it, it's also um, depends on uh, a, a subatomic kind of coupling, and this time it's a coupling between electrons. Uh, this basically determines how matter is made. I mean, to to make it <laughs> most accessible, it's what makes us not fall through our chairs when we're sitting on them. It's what makes our tabletops solid. I'm very grateful for this right now because I am indeed sitting on a chair and leaning on a table. Absolutely. So therefore, we salute you, Epsilon, for the work that you do all day, every day. Yeah, absolutely, that's right. And uh, Epsilon is governed by this by this other number. Epsilon really, really was the, the, the letter that Reese chose to describe this, but it's governed by another letter called Alpha, which stands for the fine structure constant. And the fine structure constant, you were talking about pi, it, it's... Um, the fine structure constant is one of these ratios, so it doesn't have units like meters or centimeters after it. It's a it's an it's a number that depends on the balance between two other numbers that are measured in the same units. But nobody really understands it, uh, and yet this this number alpha determines all of these important. Uh, relationships. Uh, basically, it determines the existence of electromagnetism, which is so important to uh, the functioning of stars, for example, and the way in which uh, heat is distributed across the universe and which planets can use and so on. So if it wasn't for, for epsilon or alpha, again, we would be uh, in a bad position and, uh, and life couldn't exist. Uh, moving further into the realm of science fiction with our next <laughs> letter and name. Um, anyone who's ever watched Star Trek will realise dark matter, yeah. absolutely disastrous. Uh, a terrible thing. If, if it appears in an episode, definitely one of the guys in red is going to die. Yeah. And Omega is our way of kind of measuring that. Yeah, Omega is is the balance between the... the uh, amount of matter needed to overcome the repulsive forces of uh, of dark of dark energy or of a component of dark energy. It's a pretty difficult one. This one, uh, but omega is known as the critical density of the universe. It determines whether the universe is known as flat, which is a strange concept. How can a universe be flat? Flat essentially means that if you if you had two immensely powerful laser beams and you shot them off into space in, uh, as parallel lines, that they would stay parallel for, for hugely uh, enormous scales, for cosmological scales. It looks as if um, the universe is that way, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. If the balance was tipped more in favor of matter, dark matter, and strangely enough, dark energy, because energy uh, self-gravitates, energy under Einstein's equations uh, can be interchangeable with mass, so it can be thought of as mass that has self-gravitation, even though I'm going to kind of contradict myself on the next letter. But um, the good thing is that it appears that omega is very close to one, which means that it's very close to being balanced and therefore will not uh, run off into a into a into a rip, which was a a word that Kieran loved before into the big rip, or on the other side, it won't run off into the big crunch, and that it will expand more sedately for forever probably. Uh, so yeah, and again, this is the theory that the universe is constantly expanding; that there is no finite point. But 
the, the further we go, uh, the less likely it is to expand at the same rate. Isn't that it? That's right. In fact, the, the further we, we uh, are separated from an object, the more rapidly that object and ourselves will recede from each other. And that's because more space is being made between us all the time at a certain rate. Um, and uh, it's a constant, in fact. But of course, as, the, as more space is made, it pushes us away from other objects. And yeah. so uh, over larger and larger distances, the speed of recession between any two objects accelerates. I have to say, Omega really sounds like me uh, trying to date women in college, uh, where that space just kept getting bigger and bigger all the time. If only I'd have known there was a name for it at that stage, <laughs> a, a number that could be applied. Uh, our next letter then is beginning to sound a little bit like versions of COVID here. Lambda uh, is, is a different number to Omega. What is Lambda? Lambda is Einstein's cosmological constant it was a constant that, that Einstein had to introduce into his equations when it was discovered in 1929 that the universe was, in fact, expanding. Uh, Einstein, when he, uh, when he came up with his equations, he thought that the universe was static. In fact, he, he thought it had to be static. Uh, but when Edwin Hubble dis- uh, discovered that the universe, in fact, was expanding, Einstein had to introduce this cosmological constant to make all his equations work. Um, afterwards, it seemed like uh, um, he could throw it away, and he, in fact, thought that it was his biggest mistake in, in his career. But, in fact, it's come back into the equation now because uh, the uh, the expansion of the universe has been discovered to be accelerating, and uh, lambda is a, is a number that's required to... Uh, to basically make all of the, the 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 measurements balance and to take into account this accelerating expansion of the universe, it seems to be caused by uh, the the energy of the vacuum itself. We most people and myself included would think that the vacuum of space is totally empty. Mm. Uh, in fact, the vacuum is seething with these things called virtual particles that that steal a little bit of energy from the the fundamental fields of the universe for an instant. I mean, for a really tiny amount of time. That that appear in the in in our cosmos and then disappear almost as quickly, um, and th- because this is happening all the time, there is actually an energy to the vacuum, and it appears that that is what's pushing the the uh, the basically making the the universe expand. Um, so you, you have successfully contradicted yourself. There, yes. By the way, so well, well done. Uh, that 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 is uh, that's part of the joy of that, of um, of university life, isn't it? That's right. And in fact, that that was the the contradiction between dark energy because this is the dark energy. So I I said to you a few moments ago that dark energy had mass that was self gravitating, but this is repulsion a repulsive force because, in fact, what's happening is that there is a pressure as well, and that the pressure of dark energy overcomes the uh, gravitational effect uh, of its own mass. I tell you, if you're wearing a red jacket in, in Star Trek, you're dead if they mention dark energy. You're just, it's just, it's a plot point every single time. And we've two numbers left to go quickly. What's yeah. Q? Uh, Q is the, the, the degree of structure in the universe. It's the, the amount of kind of patterning or texture in the universe. The fact that it's not all uniform. The fact that, in fact, on very large scales, there are galaxy clusters and there are galaxy superclusters. These uh, formations of matter um, were born at the earliest, the, the, the very earliest moments of the creation of the universe when there were, were only quantum scale fluctuations, that is, fl- fluctuations on the scale of about 
10 to the minus 35 of a metre. That's a, a, a one, sorry, that's a decimal point followed by 34 zeros and a one, that kind of tiny scale. Um, as the Big Bang uh, progressed as a process called inflation took over, those minuscule quantum fluctuations or variations were expanded up to cosmological scales. And that, in fact, is what uh, produces the, the, the very large scale structure of matter in the universe. Wow. Okay. And and the last one is one that we use all the time. Um, D, uh, because we we live in a 3D world, uh, but we look at a page and it is 2D. So it, that, uh-huh. that's to do with the number of spatial dimensions. And we, we'll talk about the very basic level of this first before we get into the complicated bit. Yeah. So we live in a universe of, of three spatial dimensions and um, people might think, well, isn't there a fourth dimension? Isn't time the fourth dimension? It is, but it's a different type of dimension. The reason being that in the three spatial dimensions, we can move up and down, backwards and forwards and side to side. So we can basically move around in those three spatial dimensions. But time has got an arrow, so it can only we only move forwards in time. So it's a different type of dimension. But there is no reason why the universe doesn't or couldn't have more than three spatial dimensions. In fact, it can have four spatial dimensions or up to 11 spatial dimensions depending on string mm. theory. For well, you example. see, hang on, hang on, Dr. Colm McGallagher, because I have been paying attention here. Uh-huh. You told me a minute ago the universe is largely flat. If we shoot two <laughs> lasers up into space, they'll keep going on forever and they won't necessarily intersect. But what happens if there was another universe higher up and the lasers hit that? Because we don't know, do we? There could be multiverses out there. There could be multiverses, absolutely. And in fact, the these numbers that we've talked about are so finely tuned that in in the sense that they allow us to exist because of the the existence of atoms and the fact that stars persist for long enough that one of the explanations of course could be that there was a creator that there was a god that created this universe with the f- most perfectly tuned numbers possible or that we live in just a special universe and that in fact if we didn't live in it we wouldn't be around to ask these questions uh, but that doesn't preclude there being other universes which would be hostile to life as we know it and in which we couldn't exist. So there, there automatically comes into the, the, the question, the, 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 the possibility that there are multiple universes, some of yeah, which are hang hostile, on, hang on. How, some of which how, are how else could you explain so many different Spider-Men? I mean, that is the reason why we had this discussion was to reduce it down at a very basic level to explaining Spider-Man the multiverse. Uh, is that the numbers make it possible. Yeah. Coleman, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Coleman Gallagher, a planetary geomorphologist at UCD School of Geography. I kind of enjoyed that. Now I feel as if I know a lot more leaving the programme today than I came in with. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.